Welcome to today's Ag Perspectives podcast, and our special guest is Steve Thompson, Vice President of Public Policy for Oklahoma Farm Bureau. Catching up with him after the second week of the Oklahoma general session of the state legislature and talking about several things important to rural Oklahoma, including uh, water issues, possible income tax adjustments, uh, reductions, sales tax uh, uh, for uh, for food and, and the like, as well as some other issues uh, that are important to farmers and ranchers. We've got Steve up and coming here in just a moment. Mike and Annie Schweitzer invite you to the 20th annual Spring Bull Sale at Quartermaster Creek Angus coming up Wednesday, February 28th, 1230 at the ranch in Leedy, Oklahoma. Selling will be 152-year-old bulls as well as several commercial females carrying QC genetics. Come and bid in person or watch and bid on CCI Live. Catalogs, videos, and more available at QuartermasterCreek.com. That's QuartermasterCreek.com. Quartermaster Creek Angus Bull Sale, February 28th. Quartermaster Creek, real life, real beef. We've got a couple of weeks now under our belt for the 2024 state legislative session. With us today, Steve Thompson uh, with Oklahoma Farm Bureau. Steve, uh, the lawmakers are starting to settle in. We're starting to see a little bit of movement on, on some of these bills, moving them around out of committee. What 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 are you what are you noticing right now? What what do you, what are you paying most attention to here in 2024? There's been a, a, a really high pace. Uh, it feels like legislatures hit the ground running, and everyone you talk to, whether they're legislators, lobbyists, agency staff, feels like that more things are moving at a more rapid pace sooner than than historically. Uh, there's there's lots of theories as to why that is, but it also makes uh, the days uh, very very crowded, very busy. Lots of committee meetings running full speed now with lots of bills on them. We're still ahead of the deadlines. But they're normally, you know, the first couple of weeks are, are are kind of medium at the most as far as movement, and everything loads up on those deadline weeks. But I feel like uh, everybody's kind of ahead of the curve there. And so I think a lot of bills are moving before they've really been fully vetted. Normally that's, that's what you, you kind of do uh, by the time they get to the committee, and the harder ones, the more complex ones come up the third and fourth week as you get towards the, the, the crunch time. But uh, folks are trying to move their their deals down the road as fast as possible, and so uh, that everybody's is is truly scrambling to make sure that there's there's not something that that anyone's missed, or or that uh, your bases are covered, and and probably the number one issue right now I would say has to do with water. Tell me about that. So we've had uh, probably four or five predominant bills uh, uh, kind of geared at, at Western Oklahoma. Uh, concerned, you know, we've lived through, you know, multiple years of drought. You know, we're, we're reading today about the drought map and how good it looks relative where we've been. And one of the reasons we notice that is 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 what we're used to, unfortunately, the last few years. So much more attention paid to those issues than we've had in the in the past. And there's a few water related things uh, affecting the rest of the state, but but truly the ground zero there comes from western Oklahoma and and the the predominant bill that that we've talked about most all day every day the first two weeks uh comes from southwest Oklahoma that is aimed at the upper Red River Basin which is 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 southwest Oklahoma kind of from I-40 down to the Red River more or less and 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 that would completely rewrite the way Oklahoma water law works and and it it has some some very dangerous implications as written um, that would take away some groundwater property rights, particularly in the northern end of that basin, um, and and commingle some of that with with surface water rights, which we handle totally differently. 
Um, however, we've had tremendous conversations with uh, with the author of that bill, it's a good friend, Senator Brent Howard from Altus, and um, feel like that that's truly a, a work in progress. Uh, I know that agriculture and oil and gas were very worried about the implications that that the bill as originally proposed, but that's part of the process. Um, uh, you sit down with all the players and work through some of that and. Um, we have a lot of ideas that, that are still being explored, and some of the other bills by Dr. Carl Newton from Cherokee uh, tie into some similar things about water metering and measurement and trying to gauge, uh, okay, how much water are we using, our permitted wells, irrigation, other things. Uh, the, they are permitted for a certain amount of water, and while they are currently required to turn in to the water board annually how much they use, it is basically an honor system right now. There, there's no verification of that number. And so there's discussion about, okay, do we need to somehow more scientifically measure that and actually check to see, okay, are we using more than the legal amount now? Are our growers, irrigators uh, following what the current law is? And if so, then is that is that adequate enough? And if not, uh, do, do we need to put some teeth in the water board of actually checking to see that they remain in compliance because the water board has that authority today, but has never exercised that. So that those are some difficult conversations that are that are going on right now, and and even discussion about are there are there irrigation wells out there that are not permitted that 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 legally are required to do so, but the water board really has not had either the staff or the inclination to to police that. So uh, we're we're at a critical moment when it comes to water policy. What what do we want to do? What do we want to be as a state? We look at the western states, and they, they've dealt with a lot of these issues before. But uh, I would say the drought uh, of recent times has a lot to do with why that discussion is happening now. We've never had meters really to mandate it before. That's correct. That that would be a, a big change. Um, and, and as we, you know, and this wasn't completely unforeseen, that the, the discussion, this particular bill kind of popped up out of the blue. But but the issue is one we've talked about for, for, for a little bit this last year. And and the metering that's been the the one of the things we talked about and and I've really been surprised most of our members um, growers that are involved with that with with, with irrigation wells have not expressed a, a serious problem with the idea of metering now where they have been had concerns is how much will the technology cost what are the mandates on what type of technology that they have to use who has access to that data there are a number of issues to unfold there. Uh, but there hasn't been uh, from the ag sector just a oh no we don't want to do that and historically we would have probably heard more of a no it's 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 my my water it's my property right as groundwater is in the state of Oklahoma and 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 you're not going to take it away well I think everybody's advanced to the point is okay well let, let's figure out how to measure what we're using and and that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to work through those issues but I, I think everybody is willing to sit down and try to figure out okay what all uh, do we need to consider before we take a step in state law with that? But but uh, make no mistake, the, these are these are significant potential policy changes in Oklahoma. And so, what? Well, the next couple three weeks, we'll really know how how far they might advance. I think so. I think we in in you probably have a two week window where there's some real good discussions go on, and and you may see some some new proposals out there, um, or who knows? You know, we may. Everybody may pound the table and walk away and unhappy. That that's how how the session goes in 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 in, in debates and fights, uh, even amongst friends sometimes. But uh, it can be a loud and noisy process. But um, I, I think we have a two week window here where where there's there's plenty of time to to work through some of these issues. 
And then you may could see something kind of get slowed down procedurally that if it's not worked out in the next couple of weeks, it may be more of a two-month thing that, that, uh, that, that goes on with a little slower progress because these are such difficult issues. I, I'd honestly be surprised if you could get all of the players in agreement right away. But um, I think that the next two weeks are critical to see, okay, how, how is that, how's that language going to work out and, and do all the parties um, work productively or is there a little bit of friction there? Now, that's western Oklahoma. Now, eastern Oklahoma, traditionally, uh, when we've had conversations about water and agriculture, uh, poultry's involved. Well, that that's really, truly some of our proactive focus because, um, as you know, Ron, it, it feels like our growers have been attacked um, in the courts off and on for the last couple of decades and, and not as much through uh, legislative policymaking where really the decisions need to lay. And that's some of the things we're tackling this year. There's a uh, a proposal that we're we're working with uh, Representative David Harden from Northeast Oklahoma to advance that would create what we think are very simple, straightforward, common sense liability protections for poultry growers who are operating in accordance with the law. The Department of Agriculture mandates a nutrient management plan for how they handle their poultry litter, how they apply it, how they store it, how they move it around in and out of a watershed. And once they have that plan approved by the Department of Ag. And if they're in compliance with that, they, they should not be liable for anything that happens in the environment outside of their control. You know, there, there's many sources that impact the water supply in eastern Oklahoma, and a, a lot of times it's things outside of our state. You know, we spend some time in, in northwest Arkansas, and, and the, the number of households and, and municipalities that impact the water quality that flows into Oklahoma are just mind-boggling. And it feels like our, our growers had the smallest voice in, in the debates, and so they're always the ones that end up seemingly hit with the lawsuits. But but our contention is if you're following the law, you, you shouldn't shouldn't be sued by anyone for any problems that arise outside of your farm and ranch. And uh, that's something we felt like should have been inherent to the law always. Um, unfortunately, we've seen some some very uh, frustrating um, judge-made law. And so we feel like that uh, the legislature needs to debate this and discuss. They set these standards. The Department of Agriculture applies them. And if we have problems with water quality, we need to look at the standards we have. But outside of that, all a grower can do is follow the laws and rules that have been given to him or her. And if they're in accordance with those rules and laws, then they shouldn't be uh, able to be sued by someone for something outside of their control. You mentioned judges. Uh, we're still waiting on one judge uh, in regards to a very old case uh, going back to when Drew Edmondson was attorney general trying to, to uh, basically uh, determine what, what's going to happen uh, with that particular federal case in the northeastern part of the state. That's right, Ron. That's about the craziest thing I think any of us have ever seen. We're we're coming up on on about the one year anniversary, I think, of of when the initial ruling was made after uh, thirteen years of of silence. Uh, the 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 case had had ended the the courtroom phase of that. Uh, now it'll be almost fourteen years ago, and um, out of the blue, last February we got a, a ruling uh, in favor of the state against the industry last February, and there's been lots of legal procedures, and there's been negotiations and court-ordered mediation between the attorney general and the poultry industry uh, with no resolution. And so the uh, the industry has filed a motion to dismiss that case, and that's still pending judges' action there. I know that the folks in the industry feel like that uh, after third, there's there's no precedent nationally. We talked to our friends at AFBF and their in their counsel's office, and there's just really nothing else ever like that. And so, I think on appeal that that could 
that could have have some implications to be overturned, but you, you never know how that process will work. So we're we're all just waiting to see what the judge will do next. But after after the history with that, um, there there's there's really no predicting how that's going to turn next. We've been talking for quite a while, Steve here, and and we have not mentioned the word tax yet. I mean that that's kind of what uh, a lot of folks in the media are, and, and uh, you know folks kind of casually tuning in. They're hearing all the conversation about you know should there be a tax cut or not this year. That's right. That's certainly the uh, the the thirty thousand foot thing that the news likes to talk about, and and certainly there are barbs in the media going on by all of our leaders at the House, Senate, and the Governor's Office about that. And this this past week we had a uh, another revenue uh, estimate uh, certified by the Board of Equalization about how much money the legislature will have to to spend uh, in the appropriations process. And so that that helps inform the discussion of uh, should we reduce taxes? Can we afford to reduce taxes? And if so, how much? And um, as is usual at the Capitol, the, even though that the numbers have been presented, there there's no real uniform agreement about what the numbers mean or, believe it or not, what the numbers even are. Even though uh, uh, the Board of Equalization approved a set of numbers uh, as soon as the the particulars walked out of the room and talked to the media. They disagreed over what those numbers said. So um, we're we're in for a lot of fighting through the media, to be honest, uh, about uh, income taxes particularly, but also on the grocery sales tax. I know Senator Treat um, uh, renewed his support for reducing or eliminating the state portion of the grocery sales tax. Um, the governor and the Speaker of the House have said, sure, that's great, let's do that, and an income tax cut, which I think the math certainly doesn't add up for that, but uh, each each entity has its own set of of top priorities. But uh, we're we're as we've talked about a long time, we are a little uneasy with uh, reducing or eliminating the the state income tax because that represents a huge chunk of the state revenue for the budget. And if we were to remove that core amount that really funds how we how we run the state, uh, the pressure on landowners uh, as far as property taxes and and needs there. Would, would increase exponentially. And we've seen that in other states. Uh, all you have to do is look at Texas, talk to any landowner in Texas, and I promise you they will complain about how much their property taxes are and that how you do not want that system. And those of us in agriculture, certainly uh, that that's a top-of-mind concern. So um, I expect that, that debate to continue all the way through uh, at least the beginning of May, maybe the end of May. For uh, maybe under that category of everything else, uh, what what else are are you watching? What what you could have an impact on on agriculture, or rural Oklahoma? So there's there's a couple of uh, probably lower profile but but good bills out there that that we're working with. You know, last year uh, the uh, legislature passed something to uh, create a new framework for farm kids uh, 14 and up to be able to have a limited amount of of, of an official driver's license. Um, you know, we talk a lot about when most of us grew up and even even still today that the kids on the farm start driving at an earlier age than their urban cousins. But most of the time that wasn't happening in an official legally licensed uh, capacity. And so some legislators worked with us to, to try to create a framework to, to make that. So maybe we would improve safety, but also improve access for folks that really needed that, whether it's bringing the, the kids uh, to and from school every day, or if you had a kid from town you hired to work on the farm ranch, we know how hard it is to get labor, and those are great opportunities for, for kids in town to get experience uh, that they would be able to drive out to their, their farm job. 
And we ran into an unintended consequence with the, the training programs, the driver's ed programs, both through the schools and private companies that we hadn't foreseen that were, were core to the discussion of you know, how those kids really know what they're doing. Um, the state law would not allow insurance companies to, to cover the training, the, the on-road driving courses for kids down to the, the ages uh, that the new license provided. So the state could issue them the licenses, but they couldn't actually get the training they needed. So um, I think there are, there are two pieces of legislation that would address that and maybe allow for some driver training, even even some road time, which is critical to that training. They could, they could do the classroom stuff, but they couldn't put them behind a wheel, which they really need guidance getting started out. Move that number uh, all the way down to 13 and a half years of age. So when they hit 14, if they've had the right education and training, in the limited capacity of, 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 of their job working for or in their own home farming operation, um, have spent some time on certain roads. So that that's one of those things that was an unintended consequence last year that we're getting cleaned up a little bit this year. And um, the other thing we talked a lot about this week was um, trying to reduce the liability for a person who donates um, wild game. You know, we, we represent a lot of hunters around this state and, and frequently – um, there, there's not a good place to go with some of the meat that we've harvested. And um, we, we know whether we talk food banks or in this case, particularly the correctional institutions, prisons, jails, others, um, if you were to make a good faith effort to donate some, some wholesome protein into the, some of those programs, that uh, if someone got sick from that, that you wouldn't be held liable. And, of course, there's allowances for, for negligence and other stuff. But if somebody acting in good faith is trying to help out uh, some of the underprivileged systems in our state, that they would not be held liable for, for any, anything that results of that. And, and it's, it's truly one of the common sense things. But in, in our world, sometimes you have to put laws on the books to be able to cover uh, folks who are trying to, to do the best they can to take care of their neighbors. Your uh, overall assessment, you know, you, this uh, legislative session, you said it's moving pretty quick. Uh, what, what, you know, I think uh, uh, the various, uh, you know, leaders and and, and uh, folks that are involved in all, you know, both bodies as well as the administrative side, are they going to be able to get along this year? Well, this is going to be the last year in leadership for uh, our Speaker of the House, Charles McCall. He's the longest-serving speaker in Oklahoma history, and it's going to be the last year – uh, for Senator Greg Treat, uh, who has been a quite a long-serving president pro tem of the Senate. And they have, they've had, uh, at times, a good relationship and times a contentious relationship. And the governor still has a couple more years after this, but this will be the last go-around for those three that are really the, the core principles of, of leadership at the Capitol. And so uh, I feel like that the, particularly uh, Speaker McCall and pro tem Treat, they, they know this is the last go-around, so they're going to stick to their guns. But I, I think they certainly want to go out on a note where they've worked out some significant deals. And so I, I would be surprised if it's not very noisy, but I, I would also be surprised if we don't come together and they, they do pass some significant legislation before we we're done the last Friday in May. So legacy, right? I think they're they're swinging for the fences right now. This is their last last bite at the apple in these current roles. And not for nothing, I think maybe they might be interested in, in, in higher office potentially in the future, but they have some work to do here. And so I do think that they will be looking to, uh, to, to cement as much of what the history books will say about them as possible this year. Thank you, Steve. Steve Thompson with Oklahoma Farm Bureau. On the Oklahoma Farm Report, I'm Ron Hayes.